That James, how are you? I'm good. How are you all? That's how you're going to start the podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Do you want me to say anything else? Welcome to the 13th floor. Hi, guys. Welcome to the 13th floor. Ding. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <an> elevator. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> now I think we do need to start over. No. Uh, I'm Cece. You just make a fart noise with your mouth? <laughs> yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> okay. I'm Alex. And I'm James. <laughs> that was the most <laughs> unenthusiastic. I've been forced to come here against my will I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, how are you guys doing today? Anything exciting happen? What's going on in the world? Um, uh, well... Hmm. Everybody's getting sick at work. And I feel like that person in every disease movie where they see the person coughing and then they have to like scurry away. It's yeah. horrifying. It's horrifying. Mm. Everybody's everybody's sick, so I'm constantly feel like And now he's breathing on me heavily right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean I am taking you down with me <laughs> if I well, get something. You know what happened to me today? I was driving home from work. And I was dancing to a song in my car, like, you know, I always do. And I snapped my fingers, and I thought I broke my thumb. Well, I didn't even know you wow. could snap very well. So that's what <laughs> – that, that was that's even more impressive than you breaking your thumb. Yeah. It hurts yeah, still, yeah. though. I did yeah. not know that was the thing people could do. And neither did I. It's not broken, fortunately. Your, but li- your life gets sadder every time. All right. I think that with that, we should just <laughs> – Hop on into this and talk about what we came here to talk about. Fair enough. Aquatic monsters. Oh, okay. <laughs> Aquatic monsters. Did you prepare for it? I prepared for it. Did you guys prepare for for your segments? Yep. Yep. Okay, well. I'm going to be talking about Creature of the Black Lagoon. Wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I want to talk about something I didn't even know about. James, you've probably actually heard about it, but I did, this is a story I'd never even heard about, but I'm not going first. Cece's no, going first. I am going first. Thank you very much. Don't step on my cloud. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well. Oh, What's the saying? I don't even know what it is. Don't uh, step on my parade. No, don't no, rain no, on my don't, parade. Don't rain on my parade. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> don't, step, don't step on my. You parade. guys, I'm really tired. Okay, so no, don't. Don't hate. use that as an excuse. Don't you didn't hate. know what the metaphor was. <laughs> I've heard it before. Don't step on my parade. Don't step right. on my parade. All right. Okay. That's what it is now, from here on out. But I am going to be talking about lake monsters. Mm. Yeah, get excited. For real, because lake monsters, this is like, okay, so I've gotten really excited researching for every single episode we've done so far, but lake monsters has been the most fun for me yet. And I think it's because I have a really, a really big interest in like underwater life and fish and lake monsters now, apparently. They're everywhere, in case you haven't, haven't heard. Lake monsters are like all over the place. They're all over the world. I, I was looking up lake monsters. Of Where do you always start when you're researching topics like this? Oh, uh, Wikipedia. Yeah, Wikipedia. So, <laughs> I was going to say Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> Loch Ness Monster, yeah. Well, I got on Wikipedia, and I found a list of 50 different lake monsters, and they're the most, 
I guess, the most famous lake monsters in the world. But many of them have really cool names, like Memphrey in Quebec. Or Co- Memphrey? Memphrey. Sounds like a proper monster. I love that name. Like, like he would have a teacup and like, right, a yeah. sweet little bowler hat. Memphrey. <laughs> I want to get a dog and I want to name it Memphrey now. So it'd be a nice kid show. Like I can imagine like a little like uh, kind of like Barney, but you know with flippers, I guess, because he's aquatic. Yeah, Memphrey. <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, it's cooler how I'm saying it. There's also Tahoe Tessie in Lake Tahoe. Okay. Uh, and the larger float worm in Iceland. Oh. Larger float. <laughs> <laughs> They're spotted all over the world, though. And on Wikipedia, it listed where everybody like was located. These 50 that are most often talked about. There were 14 in the USA. There were 12 in Canada. There were six in Africa, 11 in Europe, five in Asia, one in Australia, and one in South America. How does that blow my mind? Because South America's got the Amazon. And they've got real big fish, like arapainas and crap. You've got South America and Australia, two places that are home to like the most horrifying creatures ever. And they have the least amount of lake monsters. Lake monsters. I guess that kind of makes sense. In Australia, the natural wildlife would have eaten something like Nessie like a long time ago. Yeah. Well, the thing that really surprised me is how different all of these monsters' appearances are said to be, hmm. like across cultures. Um, James, when you think of a lake monster, what do you picture in your brain? I think of Nessie, that generic plesiosaur-looking dino. Yep. yep. That's yep. exactly what I think of. That's that's what I think of, too, but I was surprised. When I started looking into this, I thought all of them were just going to look like, you know, sea serpents. Right. And... They uh, they don't all look like that. Some of them are said to be able to crawl onto the, the land, hmm. uh, like Isabella of Bear Lake in Utah. Oh, yeah. Said to be more croc, croctilian. Croc-t- I guess. Yeah, croc- croctilian <laughs> in appearance. But here are some other monsters that I found some interesting stories about. Um, there's one called Mishipishu, said to reside in Lake Superior, it's said to have the head and claws of a panther, but with scales and spines. Oh, rippy. Yeah. Sounds pretty awesome. And indigenous tribes believed that uh, Mishipishu guarded the vast amounts of copper in the region and guarded he did, you guys. <laughs> yeah. According to a story by a missionary named Claude Dablin in the 1660s, several Ojiba... Uh, uh, here. Ojibwe, yeah. Ojibwe. Oh, yeah. Oji- Ojibwe. Yeah. There you go, James. Thank you. How do you say it? The language is called Ojibwe. It's like a whole language group. I actually, it's funny enough, I learned that uh, studying two things, one related to the podcast and one unrelated, uh, related to the podcast, when I was studying Wendigo, I learned a little bit about different Algonquin language trees, and then one of them was Ojibwe. And then... I love the song uh, Wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot, and it's got a bunch of Ojibwe terms in it. Oh. <laughs> it's a good You're just song. a wealth of knowledge, James. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to this story by uh, da- Dablin, in the 1660s, several Ojibwe Indians set out to get some copper, and Mishipisho was like, nope, you're not touching this. And he killed all of the Indians. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Rippy. 
Yeah, only there was one that survived just long enough to tell everybody about the terror of Mishipishu. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that's Mishipishu. There's also another um, lake monster called Gassiandetha. Gassiandetha, I think that's how you say it. Oh, man. You know, that's when you've probably eaten some bad Mexican food. (laughs) Gassiandetha. Gassiandetha. He's in Oh. He's in Lake Ontario. Oh, not what I thought and, then. Yeah, and he's a little different because he's also said to be able to fly, quote, on a trail of fire. He's more dragon-like in appearance. Oh. Uh. Yeah, he's a part of uh, he's a part of Seneca Indian folklore, and he's also referred to as the meteor dragon because he's said to have come to be after a meteoroid hit Earth. Now, did he come to be or did he ride on the meteor? It didn't. It wasn't clear. Okay. I pictured him riding the meteor. Like, <laughs> like he's got a saddle and he's just like, Wee. yeah, like the little, yeah. There's the little stream of fire behind him. He's like, Woo, with a little lasso, <laughs> flying to Earth. Oh, and then, of course, you have your classic snake-like lake monster, like uh, the Loch Ness monster in Scotland, Champ in Lake Champlain, and then my personal favorite, Ogopogo. Ah. From the Okanagan Lake in British Columbia. Okay, so why is he your favorite? Um, Ogopogo is just really fun to say. That it is. And there's also a really good little song that was written about Ogopogo, which is where he kind of got his name. But it's called The Ogopogo, The Funny Foxtrot. And I'm going to give you a listen uh, to the song right now to a version performed by the Paul Whiteman Orchestra in 1924. Let me pull it up on my computer. (laughs) All right. So here is a little snippet. Hey, Betty Boo. Yes. So yeah, that's the song. Isn't it great? What's the lyric that he says? Looking for the Yogo Pogo, (laughs) the funny little Logo Pogo. Just think, somebody's grandma was conceived to that song. (laughs) So, so what's the lyric? His his mother was a pollywog. His dad was a whale. I'm going to put a little bit of salt on his tail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know if the salt has anything to do with like his mythology. Uh, Is that how you kill Ogopogo? Oh. I never want Ogopogo to die. <laughs> but he, yeah, people have no idea where he came from. It's just a song. But it's a good yeah. song. And it's been stuck in my head literally all day long. So Ogopogo is said to be dark in color and long like a serpent with a horse-like bearded head. Huh. Huh. Sounds kind of like a water horse. Yeah, like a water horse. Some people think that he's just a spirit, a water spirit. That's what um, indigenous tribes used to think that he was, apparently. Hmm. But his nickname is Augie, 
And he's been a legend for a very long time. This is according to a really cool website that I found called ogopogoquest.com. But it says that indigenous tribes pass the story of Augie down for generations. And they would make little sacrifices to appease him when they're on the water to kind of keep him away. So what kind of sacrifice? They would throw like a little animal out, which is kind of really sad. But I guess, you know, when you think that you're going to be eaten by a lake monster, it's what you do. Yeah. 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 So they made little sacrifices to him. But the uh, the first recorded sighting was in 1873 by a woman named Susan Allison who lived near the lake. And she said he looked like a snake-like creature. That was the first time that anybody had, like, recorded that they'd seen him. Hmm. All the rest of it was just, you know, word of mouth. Right. Yeah. And from then on, the sightings just kept on coming. And there have been hundreds of sightings of this thing over the years. Huh. Some of them very recently, too. Uh, in September of last year, September 2018, a whole bunch of people started reported, reported seeing him. And the news went out and did a story on him and, you know, fun stuff. But a whole bunch of people have actually written their accounts of seeing Ogopogo on ogopogoquest.com. Seriously, go to that website. It's really fun. Highly recommend. But you can read all of their accounts and you can also read about a group of people who call themselves the Legend Hunters, and they've had a couple of expeditions to go out and find Ogopogo over the years. And some mm. of them have actually turned up some pretty interesting findings. In, two, in 2000, a sonar sweep picked up a possible indication of something that could be a large creature before it just completely disappeared. Huh. So. That's interesting. kind of messed up. Yeah. yeah. Take with that what you will. Ogopogo's definitely there. Ogopogo is... I mean, he had a song written about him. Yeah. Ogopogo is one of the coolest things I've ever heard of. <laughs> and I've heard like of his name. I just love his name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for the Ogopogo. The funny little Ogopogo. So anyways, where do, where do lake creatures hide, you guys? The bottom of the lake. <laughs> bottom of the lake. I mean, I don't know where else they would, they would be. Well, many are said to live in t- underwater cave systems okay it's a possibility maybe yeah it's a possibility but one thing that kind of troubled me about lake monsters just in general is like essentially they're it's like they're they're like a fish living in a fishbowl yes they have nowhere to go so if they're really out there i feel like we would have for sure seen them because they're gonna have to come up for air eventually well and you would also probably have so if they live in a cave system underneath you'd probably see other other fish and stuff that shouldn't be in the lake popping up every now and then. I don't know about that. You don't think so? No. Okay. Maybe it's just... You're you know, the expert of Ogopogo. Yeah, I'm the Ogopogo expert in these parts. But I was looking up, like, what's the deepest lake in the world? And the deepest lake, I don't know if there are any lake monsters in there, but it's Lake Baikal in Russia. Okay. Yeah, it's... 5,387 feet deep or 33.5 football fields. Wow. Deep. So it's oh, man. it's really far down there. Um, I don't think that much of it's explored. So God only knows what's living. I imagine not. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you were to dive to the bottom of that, they'd probably have to bury you in your hat. I mean, like dead serious, like the pressure would smush you. Yes, it would. I remember. Because I absolutely love going to um, aquariums. And I remember when I was really little seeing a – basically, they had like a line of things and showed you how deep this cup had gone. 
and it showed you how small and crushed it would get the further you went down, and it was really cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in comparison, uh, Lake Okanagan, where where Ogopogo lives, is about 760 feet deep. So it's nowhere near as deep as Lake Baikal. Well, these lakes are a lot deeper than I guess I thought they would be, though. Yeah. So uh, Okanagan Lake is just under five football fields deep. Uh, and Loch Ness, the Loch Ness where Nessie lives is about the same depth. So they're pretty deep. Oh. Yeah, they are pretty deep. So what are they really? If it's not really a lake monster, what is it? A tree stump. Mm. A tree stump. Yeah, there are lots of people who've who've taken pictures. And if you go to ogopogoquest.com, you can see pictures that people have taken of Ogopogo. And he always looks like a tree trunk. He, some of the pictures are actually pretty interesting, but yeah, a lot of them look like tree stumps and that's what a lot of people think it is. But there are some researchers who, you know, you can't deny that people think that they're seeing these things. So is it really there? Um, They think it's possibility that these lake monsters could be really big eels. Okay. Which I guess is a possibility, at least for the serpentine lake monsters. Right. And then some people... And this is this is an idea I saw posted by just one person, guy named Nick Redfern from Mysterious Universe, where he suggested that lake monsters are actually tulpas. Huh. That, True. That, that website's awesome. It's a pretty just, cool website. Just so y'all know, that's where I did some research for the very first episode on lizard people, Mysterious Universe, and the, 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 they got some oh, pretty cool man. stuff on there. But, you know. Yeah, we got to do a tulpa episode. Well, oh, man. James, give everybody an idea of what a tulpa is. Because I could try to explain it, but I have a feeling you would do it so much better than a me. A quick idea. Yeah, a quick idea. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, sorry. Okay. Um, well, a tulpa. <laughs> it's like we just gave James the most awesome Christmas present you could imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> a tulpa is, well, okay. In Buddhism, they believe that reality is a result of consciousness. So instead of us perceiving the world, the world is just a projection of what we think. So Tibetan Buddhists came up with this idea of meditating and focusing on a thought so much that it becomes physically manifest. So it's kind of like, think about an imaginary friend, but it's not just visible to you. It can actually interface with the world and other people can see it. And some people have argued that that's what all supernatural phenomena are that, you know, especially with regard to like group consciousness, like if everybody in a village believes in something, eventually they'll make it real just by virtue of believing in it. And that's sort of what a tulpa is. It's like a mental projection made concrete. Very beautifully put, James. Thank you. That's yeah. And that's what that's what this guy, Nick Redfern, suggested that all of these lake monsters, you know, people people flock to. Uh, Okanagan Lake and Loch Ness to try and find the Loch Ness monster or Ogopogo or whoever, whatever lake monster you're looking for. So if so many people are going, you know, maybe somebody has actually created this just by thinking about it. Huh. Interesting, right? Just an idea. And then uh, last but not least, some people think that lake monsters could possibly be unknown creatures that we just have not discovered yet, especially when they're at such great depths. But I I was looking into, you know, what kind of creatures they could be. Some people think they could be pleosaurs or mesosaurs. So Mm -hmm. kind of ancient reptilians. 
And I also looked into some of the longest living creatures on Earth. And there's a sea sponge said to live to be 11,000 years old. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That is a beautiful sea sponge. And then, according to National Geographic, um, as for mammals, bowhead whales are said to be 200 years, give or take. Not too shabby. No, not too shabby. Can you imagine how, how many candles are on that birthday cake? Mm. Where, <laughs> you wouldn't even see the cake? Well, bowhead whales apparently have one of the biggest mouths in the animal kingdom. Uh, so I learned he could, all about he could, bowhead whales on octonauts. <laughs> Our favorite TV show in the Cornette household. If you're looking for, <laughs> for a great, yeah, if you're looking for a great children's television show, Octonauts is where it's at. It's fantastic. I learned a lot about bowhead whales, and they love to smash through some. Wait, oh crap! That you're talking about the narwhal? No, no, no. Narwhal likes to go through the ice as well. You know what? We're we're bowhead going off. whales can go through the ice that the narwhals can't. They're much stronger. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. they're also much older. That's and true. you know what? They live off the coast of Canada, which is where Ogopogo lives. So I think people can be mistaken a bowhead whale for... No, I just think that Canada is like a hotbed of paranormal yeah. lake monster activity. Well, they also have a and lot of... And Sasquatch. Yeah, as I say, they have a lot of Sasquatch activity there, too. Yeah. So. And Wendigos. And when, oh, yeah. God, I never want to go to Canada. I do. I want to go look for Ogopogo. <laughs> Oh, man, oh, we're going to plan a vacation around Ogopogo. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, that's just a little bit about lake monsters. Yeah. Really, really cool stuff. It is cool. Yeah. Very. It was a really fun topic to look into. I, I like Ooh. the lake monsters. And, and Ogopogo seems like a pretty cool cat. He's said to be very bashful. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Okay, so you're talking about... A sea monster. I'm talking about one specific sea mo- monster incident. It's probably the most, well, I was I would say well-known, but I had no idea about it until I started looking it up. <laughs> so I never heard about it. So I was thinking like, okay, maybe I can find an incident where someone comes across a kraken or claims to have come across a kraken within the last. And what's a kraken? Well, there's dispute about it but a lot of the consensus over over time became that it was just a colossal squid and it would just grab ships throw them around or attack them but then there was never any proof afterwards and just a quick factoid do you want to know how the first giant squid was found how it washed up on a beach people hacked it up to uh use it as bait and then they sent the beak of it to a uh to some researchers, and that's how they discovered what a giant squid was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to catch the fish or something. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I learned that in my research to just stumble upon this story where back in World War One, there was this place called the North Channel in between the Atlantic Sea and the Irish Sea where uh, German U-boats would wait for... British people carrying goods that would, or supplies to feed their soldiers, and they would just keep destroying their boats. Well, uh, there's this guy by the name of Captain Lieutenant Gunther Kretsch, and he was the captain of UB 85. So apparently, Gunther was hunting these British supply ships poorly, I might add. He apparently had a reputation for being so unsuccessful that he never took out a single ship. Uh, wow. so, yeah, yeah. So, so he wasn't good at his job. 
So the captain goes up to try to spot some of these ships at night. Uh, the only time that they would like to surface for obvious reasons mm-hmm. in a submarine to let their batteries yeah. recharge and all this kind of stuff. It's always up there with his binoculars. And while he's on top of his sub with a couple other people, he suddenly feels something hit the side of his boat. And then he hears a loud thud on the top deck. And so he looks down, and he's face-to-face with a sea monster that's coming out of the water onto the submarine. He said the beast had large eyes set in a horny sort of skull. And then he went on to describe it as it had a small head but with teeth that you could see glistening in the moonlight. Every man began to fire their sidearm at the beast, but the animal had hold of the forward gun mount and refused to let go of the ship. And so the monster was so heavy that it began dragging the 730 ton sub underwater. And so water started flooding the open hatch. And so uh, Kretsch ordered his men to keep firing. And so they kept firing on it as his sub was going down. And eventually the beast let go. But the problem was after the the beast scurried away, they noticed that the ship was damaged And now they could not dive. So there are a whole bunch of Germans left stranded on a sub that can't go underwater. And so the next morning they're on top. Everyone's on top and the Royal Navy arrives and they immediately surrender because there's nothing they can do. Right. And so when they get brought on board, they have this interview with him where he recounts all those events. So I found this story in a variety of places, but it was an investigative piece by Guy Walters and that really caught my eye. He claimed that he solved the mystery and he had all the answers to what really happened. Okay. What happened? What do you all think happened? Do you think he was really attacked? Mm-hmm. Or do you think, do you think like maybe he exaggerated or he created a tulpa? <laughs> okay. James, what do you think could I, possibly have happened? I'm going to go with true. You're going to go with true. Okay. So, this is really good. Okay, so Guy Walters, this journalist, he found out that there were all these records and interviews with all kinds of captured Germans from this time era, from like, uh, got in trouble remembering, but it's about 1891 to 1945. And they kept all these records out in uh, Carolina, or not Carolina, out in California. And the, he went to go visit with this guy who had worked with these records named Dwight R. Messimer. And so it turns out other members of the crew had also been interviewed, but his just managed to get the headlines. So their account of the story is a much more, well, I don't know if it's more interesting, but it certainly is a better story. Um, So it turns out that the entire debacle was caused by Kretsch himself. So Kretsch, as, (laughs) as in his story, saw some boats coming. And so he decided to crash dive his U-boat, which just means he enters a rapid descent. It's a, just an emergency descent to get under the water as fast as possible. Right. Well, he he claimed that he thought he heard somebody say that the hatch was closed. Oh, and it no. wasn't. So they went underneath the water. Now, that's not actually such a bad thing for a submarine, typically. Because... Submarines actually have two seals. They've got the main hatch that everyone <laughs> everyone really knows, but the, there's this part of the sub called a conning tower. It's that fin 
that's on top of the subs mm-hmm. that you see in movies. Oh, okay. It's called a conning tower. And that's where they usually, they post out at night and they look out if they don't go out on the deck. And it's where they have the periscope usually. Well, the good thing okay. is, is there's usually a seal, a complete water seal that doesn't allow any water past that. So it wasn't a big deal that the hatch, the hatch had been flooded. But the problem is that the seal failed. But there's a reason for it. <laughs> but as the water messed up again, as the water began to flood, causing pumps, batteries, and electronics to fail, and to make matters worse, since it was flooding the batteries, it was releasing this chlorine gas into the uh. sub. So water's pouring into the sub. Chlorine gas is filling the sub, and so. You know, the, the, a lot of these people are thinking they're probably going to either be poisoned to death or drowned. So he tells them to blow these tanks that make the sub immediately go up. And so they blow the tanks, which is why they couldn't actually go back Dive. under the water later on. And so they're stranded. So how did it go so wrong? Why did the second seal fail? Well, it turns out that Kretsch is just as inept at shooting down British uh, boats as this he guy could be in a cartoon. As he is, is as something else. So the reason the second seal failed is because he wanted a heater in his office. Oh my god! <laughs> and so he ran the cables up to. Uh, he had they had to run the cable for his heater through the seal. And they told him, like, you know, this will make the seal fail. He says, we don't need to worry about it. We'll make sure we get the hatch closed. And sure enough, so since that wire was going through the seal, that's where all the water came in. And (laughs) all because he wanted to stay a little extra warm. Wow. So Hogan's Heroes was a documentary, is what you're telling me. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. And so, oh my God. And then not only that, but after after he (laughs) ruins his own ship, he orders them to scuttle it as they're getting off because he didn't want the British to have another mark saying that they, I guess another almost like point that they had sunk a German U-boat. So he just had them scuttle the ship as he got off. And he blamed wow. an innocent sea monster. He blamed an innocent sea monster, but his, his uh, four other crew members ratted him out. <laughs> I would bl- I would probably rat him out too if the whole thing happened because he just wanted a heater in he his room. He wanted office. a heater in his room. Yeah. How did he ever get to be in charge of this guy? Was he like Durfner's <laughs> nephew? Clear, clearly they were in short supply. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I would watch this on TV, hands down. It would be like The Office, but like a German sub. It would be Das Boot meets The Office. Yeah, yeah. It would be amazing. Yeah, I, thought, I thought that story was pretty funny. It took a took a turn that I didn't see coming because they only found the – this guy only found the answer out two years ago. So, wow. So everybody thought for a long time that it was a possible sea monster attack. Yeah. I yeah. mean, people probably did. I mean, I mean they, they, uh, no one, I mean, not a lot of people believed him. People in the area believed him because, you know, when something like that happens, it becomes notorious. People yeah. in that area want to kind of, you know, keep that alive because it, it's kind of fun to believe in that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> and it was certainly a story I never heard. And so, it, my story quickly went from Kraken to uh, more about Kretsch than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so not a true sea monster, but... Well, yeah. 
The people like to believe it's a lab over there. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, James, I, got, I believe you got something else for us. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, up until about 20, 25 years ago, the only way of really thinking about what lives in the ocean has just been seeing things either swimming or on a boat or seeing things wash up. And that's made people's imaginations run wild. You know, like, as you mentioned before, giant squid, colossal squid, all manner of whales. I mean, it is staggering how big the things in the ocean are compared to the things that we see on land. But now we have a new means of exploring the ocean. We've only seen about 5% of it. But now we have the means to listen in on things, thanks to uh, various organizations, the biggest one being the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. And as a result, starting in the early 90s, around 91, we started hearing some messed up stuff. Uh, Yeah, I mean, things that are very strange. Uh, it, It all started in 1991 with the upsweep and the upsweep was this terrible sounding thing uh close to antarctica which most of these tend to be in that general area um and people didn't know what was going on they were like is this alive is this uh organic in nature is this a volcano is this a glacier what is going on and then people promptly forgot about it it didn't even become an inspiration for an x-file i don't think but then, shortly after that, there was another sound heard, known as the whistle. And it was very similar. And this was even scarier because it was recorded in the Mariana Volcanic Arc, which is close to the Mariana Trench, ah. which is where all the nightmares are. Yeah, <laughs> that's, the, that's the deepest you can go. It, it, it's something that, when we think about it, are, it's difficult not to picture Cthulhu or something. And as the uh, octonauts call it, the Midnight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, fast forward to 97. They hear two sounds. Uh, the first was the slowdown, which isn't nearly as famous as the second one. The second one is the big one. The second one is the one that really was the focus of my research, and then I found out that there were more in question. But this one... And here in a sec, I'll ask you guys to uh, to play that for everybody. Is known as the bloop. Go ahead and and play that for a sec. All right, here we go. We'll give them ten seconds of bloop. Trippy, right? Bloop. Yeah. Now, this was pretty much a big deal. This was like what everybody was talking about in 1997, other than Ace of Base. (laughs) (laughs) And it was sped up in a lot of its recordings, which made it even more eerie and animal-like in nature. And it, it, it was just sort of the talk of the oceanic town, as far as that goes, for a long time. But the reason why it was so interesting was 
even though it sounded somewhat similar to the other sounds that I've previously mentioned, the really messed up thing about it was the sheer volume. Um, because during this time, one of the reasons why Noah was even listening to begin with was to record whale songs. Well, this makes a whale song sound like a moth fluttering against your window pane. This was huge. Whatever made this noise, and it sounded organic in nature, makes a blue whale look like a flipping Dotson. And that's nightmarish to consider. <laughs> now, what's most interesting about that is, in 1997, they had no idea about what I've mentioned in a previous episode, which is there's an ocean beneath all the other oceans and the land that dwarfs all of those oceans. It's entirely plausible that the bloop, the ultra-low frequency that dwarfs a blue whale, came from that location. Mm. Which, yeah. So that's flipping terrifying. Now, that being said, the modern explanation is that it's a glacier breaking apart. And this has to do with the fact that it has uh, what's called a SH wave, which is scientific jargon for Silent Hill wave. No, just kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's jargon for, for a shear wave, which just means that the, the direction of the wave is perpendicular to the tide. That's all it means. So, you know, you've got the tide moving. It forms a right angle with the tide. That's really all that means. And it just so happens that glaciers breaking apart have a similar pattern. That being said, I'm a little skeptical of the skeptical explanation because they say that for every one of these sounds, the upsweep, the whistle, the bloop, and the slowdown, the train, all of these mysterious noises, every single, oh, it's a, it's a glacier. Every single time, really? That's Again, it, it goes back to that swamp gas weather balloon argument. Like for every single one of these, especially the bloop though, that's the most famous of all the sounds. Well then two years later, you'll notice that this seems to happen um, within a relatively short window, 91 to 99. Well, in 99, the Julia sound was recorded. Go ahead and play that for everybody, please. Okay, here we go. Yeah, that's not the same sound. <laughs> no, exactly. Um yeah, I, I don't buy it. Uh, but what's really scary to me, the one that's really weird, uh, is the slowdown. That was in 97. It sounds almost just like the Julia. But what's weird about the slowdown is that it gets picked up pretty much on an annual basis. Now think about that. Earthquakes, volcanoes, glacial fog, glacial calving. Do those things tend to follow an annual cycle? Mm. No. The short answer is no. No, they don't. Animals and plants follow annual cycles. Plants, leaves change based on an annual cycle. Whale songs are based on an annual cycle. Bird songs, things like that. Well, the slowdown happens roughly the same time every year and gets recorded every year. That sounds more like an animal. That sounds more like something that has a natural kind of circadian rhythm. So, yeah, the, the things that we hear in the deep seem to be a lot more bizarre than some of the things that we've seen, and we've seen some weird stuff. And if this, so, if this is like an animal, 
and it's so loud. How big would an animal have to be to have lungs to create a noise that loud? Godzilla! Yeah, uh, pretty much. You would have to be that kind of size. It would be it would be what scientists call the kaiju scale of animals. <laughs> it would have to be gigantic, uh, much bigger than the biggest animal on Earth, the blue whale. Now much the, bigger. The question is, would it have enough food to eat? Well, that's, that just the, that, that's the most interesting thing about all this is, one, the biggest animals tend to eat some of the smallest ones, krill. So it, That's true. It, even if it lived in our oceans, the answer would be, yeah. But here's where things get, this is me going off on a theory here. This is just my imagination here. But if this thing is located in the ocean beneath our ocean, then it may not be part of any kind of biome that we're familiar with. For starters, maybe it lives entirely off of uh, like chemical synthesis, like a lot of animals at the very, 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 very bottom of the ocean, they don't eat normal food. They they synthesize their food from chemicals from uh, volcanic vents, for example. There's these creepy, furry white crabs, for example, that do that. Additionally, w- what uh, what you see at the very bottom of the ocean, I, I, it's called something like planktonic snow. Like it, you think about uh, how dust and crumbs sort of gather in the corners of a room, like a mm-hmm. kitchen. Well, that's sort of, think about every animal eating every animal in the ocean. Think about the whales eating the krill and the, the smaller fish eating the plankton and then the sharks ripping into whales. A lot of stuff sort of falls to the bottom in little bits and scraps. And it's called, I think it's called planktonic snow, but I can't remember for sure. I know it's got snow in the name. Well, if this thing is living at the very, very bottom which is where things get big anyway. Um, I mean, th- there's a term for that. It's called deep water gigantism uh, because it's, it's colder. The metabolism's slower. There's a lot of nutrients. You don't have to worry as much about being predated because nothing can see you. So things at the bottom of the ocean tend to get big anyway. If it's living off of that snow, it could, it could become massive easily. Kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> Kaiju. It's exciting. Oh so, yeah. The, yeah, it really is. The bloop is a scary thing. And, and like I said, the, the current argument is, well, uh, glaciers also, they create SH waves. Well, yeah, but it's kind of weird that some of them are annual and they sound organic in nature and there's a whole bunch of different ones. It's a little peculiar to, to say that, well, it's, it's probably glaciers. Fascinating. That is fascinating. I think the ocean is so cool because so much of it is unexplored. And we literally know more about the solar system than we do our own ocean. Yeah. Trippy. It's mind blowing. And like, while I don't necessarily believe in lake monsters, I totally think that there are things in the ocean that are scared the hell out of you. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't even think about, Oh, well I'm scared to get in the ocean because you never know what's underneath you. That's true. Uh, What's the James, do you know that what's the deepest that a human has actually gone in the ocean? You know, I'm actually not sure. I know that we've gone, uh, do you mean like free diving or no, like in a vehicle? Like in a vehicle. In a special vehicle, we've gotten pretty deep. I know that. We haven't we haven't reached near the bottom of the Mariana Trench, but there's actually a wonderful, um, let me look that up because there's, I can't remember the name of it. There's a but really there's good documentary about them going to the bottom called uh, The Bag. The bag? No, the Meg. 
Oh, oh, he's <laughs> Jason Statham. <laughs> oh my god! They go to the oh, bottom. Uh, they go. They go to the sea floor, and then it turns out that it's not actually a floor. It's more of like a layer, and they go believe go beneath, and there's a whole other ocean. And that's where the megalodon well, that's, that's, is. That's true. There is a whole other ocean. Yeah. I mean, that much is fact. So, uh, uh, yeah, the, yeah. So the whole thing's fact. Then, if that one thing is, yeah, right. There we go. It's, it's canon now. <laughs> Jason Statham. <laughs> oh my gosh! But oh, I found the channel. By the way, anybody interested in seeing just some of the amazing things that the deep has to offer, uh, all the biodiversity and new species, you you literally might see a new species discovered if you watch this channel on YouTube. It's EVN Nautilus. In other words, EV Nautilus. Uh, and that's the name of the submersible vehicle. And they go down deep and they, they check out things. And sometimes they have live streams. It's super cool. It's kind of crazy that they haven't been able to get that deep. I mean, yeah. relatively. Well, it's just it's just mechanical issues. I mean, it's, it's like going to the flipping moon. There's all these obstacles in terms of just uh, nature that throws at you. You know, it's like... If you want to go to the moon, you got to deal with solar radiation, and you got to have enough fuel. Well, if you want to go down deep, similar issue, except instead of solar radiation, it's pressure. You know, the deeper you go, uh, the heavier and heavier that water gets, and uh, then also the darker it gets, and um, then you also have to contend with fuel and oxygen, and it's it's just you, a nightmare. The body just extent. can't handle it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go that that far down oh, it's, the it's always been a dream of mine like when i was really little even i wanted to get in a submersible and i wanted to, to i wanted to hang out with squids and octopi and all the weird creatures at the bottom of the ocean see i want to see like a living angler fish in the ah, in the flesh i don't want cool. to just see it you know on a little stick at the aquarium there's one thing i yeah. learned from the meg you don't want to turn on your lights when you go down to that that <laughs> other ocean. You don't want to do it. <laughs> well, guys, this has been really fun. Agreed. It has been fun. Yeah. Next time, next time you you hear from us, you guys, we're gonna be talking about MK Ultra, Project Monarch, and Scopolamine. Yeah, we'll talk. We're gonna talk about mind control next episode. So. Yeah, that'd be you know that's cool. We'll just yeah. do mind control. Mind control. Mind control. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. I'm excited. So, I like this. <laughs> yeah, tune in next week. See what we got to say. Yeah, yeah. And thanks for listening. And we'll, until then, and until then, keep it straight. Keep it straight. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Damn uh, it, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say intro music uh, is by Grant Cook. Oh, yeah, yeah. The song Single, oh, yeah, and you yeah, can yeah. find his music on Amazon <clears throat> and YouTube. Yeah, so until next time, guys. Keep it strange. Keep it strange. Let's go deep. Bye. Looking for the Yogo Pogo, the funny little logo Pogo. <laughs> Just think, somebody's grandma was conceived to that song.
don't step on my cloud. <laughs> <laughs>